Track Smack with Don Hall. Smackcast. Hey everyone, this is Mike Cage with Race Day San Antonio, and welcome back to another edition here on TrackSmackRadio.com. Today's show is a Smackcast edition, and it features the NASCAR Hall of Fame Class of 2021 announcement. The big news of the day, and as expected, two-time Daytona 500 winner and two-time NASCAR Xfinity Series champion and one of NASCAR's most popular drivers, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was officially named a first-ballot NASCAR Hall of Famer on Tuesday evening. In addition, Red Farmer, who was one of NASCAR's most accomplished short track competitors, and Mike Stefanik will join Earnhardt in the NASCAR Hall of Fame class of 2021. Also, Ralph Seagraves, a longtime official with R.J. Reynolds Company and who was considered a corporate hero to the sport for initiating and securing a 30-plus year sponsorship agreement with his company's Winston brand, he was named as the recipient of the Landmark Award for Outstanding Contributions to NASCAR. Stefanik earned a record-tying nine NASCAR championships, seven of those coming in the NASCAR Wayland Modified Tour and two in the NASCAR E-Series. He also won Rookie of the Year honors in the 1999 NASCAR Gander and RV Truck Series. Stefanik holds all-time records in championships, which is seven, wins, 74, pole positions, 48, top five finishes, 223, and top 10 finishes, 301, in the NASCAR Wayland Modified Tour. And in 2003, he was named one of the 10 greatest drivers. Unfortunately, Stefanik, a Rhode Island native, was killed in an airplane accident last year at the age of 61. Now, for Farmer, who's 89 and a Florida native, he's better known as one of the original members of the famed Alabama Gang. After relocating to the state and teaming up with fellow Florida transplants Bobby and Donnie Allison and Alabama's Neil Bonnet, Farmer, who is estimated to have more than 700 career victories, is still competing on local short tracks. Now, on today's SmackCast edition, we have the audio from Red Farmer and Dale Earnhardt Jr., First up is Red Farmer. Here's what Red Farmer had to say. All right, how about now? You got us better? Yeah, we, you know, after 73 years of hearing them old noisy exhaust pipes, I got a little hearing problem. All good. Well, listen, we appreciate you joining us today, and congratulations on making the Hall of Fame. For our media joining us today that may be unaware of Red's accomplishments, he is a four-time NASCAR champion, 1956 modified champion, He won three straight late model sportsman championships from 1969 to 1971. And in 1998, he was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers. So, Red, I'll throw the floor to you. And can you please tell us what it felt like when you learned you would be joining the NASCAR Hall of Fame? Well, I kind of had to catch my breath there for a minute. You know, uh, I didn't know what I'd ever make it in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. This is the biggest honor that you'll ever get uh, to get in that. Figure uh, that all the years I've been in it, I started NASCAR in 1953 on the beach course when I ran a Hudson down there on the beach in 53. And I ran two more races on the beach before they uh, built the super speedway. And I ran the last one in 58. So I've been in NASCAR for a long time. And, and, you know, I got to run against a lot of the great drivers. I got the Pioneer Award and that's, uh, being a pioneer, I'm proud of the pioneer, to be honest, but be 
that I'm glad they got they came up with this pioneer a bunch, but because the most of the people that uh, put you in the Hall of Fame wasn't even born when we was racing when I was racing. So they don't really know what happened back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They only see what's happened in the last 20, 30 years that they've been in business. So it was kind of hard to get recognized as a pioneer. But this new award, I think it's going to be great. It's going to get some of the old fellas back in there. You know, so, you know, I got the, I had the honor of racing against Fireball Roberts and Curtis Turnley, Joe Weatherly, Lee Petty, Buck Baker, Tiny Lund. And, and Joe, all those guys back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and I wouldn't take anything for that opportunity. You know, everybody said, why weren't you glad you born 30 years later and be racing for all this money? I said, yeah, but those guys can't have the honor that I had to be able to race against some of the great drivers that started NASCAR. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. We're going to open up and take media questions now, uh, and the floor is open to any media. We will go to... Uh, Motorsport.com, Luis Torres, please. Motorsports Tribune, but hey, Red, congratulations on going into the 2021 Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Being relatively very young, but has understand and respected the history of the sport, out of all the competitors, you've been, th you've been through it all. Which one has been probably the toughest competitor that people may not heard of? That would be hard to say when you race. I, I started racing in 1948, and so you look at it, that's nine decades. And I've raced with so many great drivers that you, you just can't, I can't name them all. I mean, it's just, it, ever during each decade, you had some great drivers to run against. Uh, just like I said, uh, Fireball Roberts used to come down to West Palm Beach and race on a half-mile dirt track with me. And he was a great driver. That's back in the early in 48 and 50, 51 through there. You know, and then uh, all those races I ran on the beach course, that one race in uh, 56, they started 136 cars in it. There was a bunch of great drivers in those days. And you look at them, the run up down and you see some names back there that, you know, that you didn't recognize, but they became popular, great drivers later on in, in their career maybe 10 or 20 years from that. But I, I couldn't say, I mean, when we had the Alabama gang started through the 60s and 70s with Bobby and Donnie and myself that started the Alabama gang, they were the two of the guys I'd have to outrun. I mean, I knew that if I went to the racetrack, Huntsville, Montgomery, Birmingham, Pensacola, or wherever we had to race, or Mobile, if I was going to win that race, Bobby and Donnie were the two that I was going to have to outrun. They were tough competitors, always was. We was good friends, but when we got on the racetrack, it was every man for himself. But, you know, there's just so many great drivers through the years, you, you just can't pick them. I mean, I could name 50 drivers that I thought was great drivers. And uh, it, it was an honor to run against them all, all the way up to look, I ran my last race in Daytona in 1992, I think it was, in an ARCA race. And that was a, that was thing. And then uh, I won the Permatex 300 in, in 71. And uh, that started, I was, wasn't going to race for that third championship after two years of traveling all over the country and pulling a open trailer and traveling 20, 25 hours with no interstates, you know, all over the country racing for points. 
we would go run though. And I come to Daytona and in 71, I won the Permatex 300 for the first time. And here I was leading the point settings again. So I went ahead and, and uh, ran, won, a, won it again in 71. But I think the thing that to me it really meant more to me in all those years, I won four more popular driver awards. But when I won those awards, it was voted on by NASCAR members only. No media, no fans, nobody else. You had to have a NASCAR license to vote on that. So the people that I raced against every week, and the, my peers, they voted me most popular driver. Those were four of the great honors that I think I got to in my career, but having your fellow people that you race with every week vote you that way. Thank you. We'll now move to Bobby from Bronx Net TV. Thank you, Josh. Congratulations again, right as well. You know, when you were coming up driving and you were racing, did you ever dream of an accomplishment like this? And what do you think it takes to be a Hall of Famer? Well, that's, no, I wouldn't say, because I will tell you, my first race when I raced NASCAR at 53, my mechanic and myself, Wayne Cackley, drove the race car up from Miami to Daytona. I didn't even have a trailer or a tow truck. We drove the Hudson up there with a suitcase in the back seat and a toolbox in the trunk. And we drove all the way 350 miles of that race car to Daytona to start racing. Now that's, that's how green I was when, when we started NASCAR, when I bought my first NASCAR license in 53. Didn't have a tow truck, didn't even have a trailer. So you, you don't know what's gonna happen down the road. You always try, you know, and uh, I've got some stories that you know I could tell later on a little bit longer about what started my career. Actually, that in '53, I'm going to tell you this: I had I went to several big shot drivers, let's say, when I was up there because I was a rookie and didn't know anything about Daytona Beach or the, what to do with the cars and tire pressures and stuff like that. And I went to quite a few different places and they had little barricades around their areas, you know, they were big shot drivers back in those days. And I couldn't get no information from none of them. And it really kind of upset me. And then I went to Ralph Moody and Ralph Moody stopped and told me what kind of air pressure and a few things do do to me. And I said to myself in that day, I said, well, I don't know where I'll ever be 20 years from now, 10 years from now, or 30 years from now. But I hope I don't ever get to where I can't take time to help somebody that needs some help in the race car. And, and I thought about Ralph Moody. I said, if I ever become anything a champion, I don't want to ever forget where I came from, and I don't want to ever be able to not be able to help somebody as much as I can. And that, that was really impressed me from Ralph Moody to be able to stop. He was the only one that took time to help me out, not knowing I didn't know nothing. But I've always tried to race my career the same way. Anytime I could give advice or help a rookie, then, then I wanted to do it. Next, we will go to Zach Albert from NASCAR.com. Hey, Red, I, I just wanted to know um, what's next for you. I know that the NASCAR Cup Series and is coming to Talladega this weekend and that there's a, a bunch of racing on tap at the short track too. So uh, how do you plan to celebrate and, uh, and are you going to be racing this weekend? Oh yeah. I was working on my car this morning trying to get it ready. I had a 
a little fender bender last Saturday night in a, a 40 lapper up there and they started 24 cars. I started 13th right in the middle of the pack from qualifying, but I got in the fender bender about the third lap and had a three or four car pile up right in front of me and I had slid into it and knocked the nose up pretty bad. So I'm getting my backup car ready for Friday and Saturday night at Talladega Short Track. So I'm looking forward to running again. We always race two nights a week during Talladega weekend and it's, no, it's going to be the same thing this week. So I'm getting my GRT car ready now for uh, Friday and Saturday night. I'm going to go out there and do my best and have some fun. Great. I guess what, what still drives you to, to, to keep at it? I mean, uh, uh, even, even at 87 years old now. Well, yeah, this is my 73rd year racing when I ran the ice bowl. I, I don't know. It just, it's kind of hard to explain in it's, uh, I still enjoy it so much. I got, I enjoy working on my race cars. I enjoy going out there and being with all the guys in the pits and, and going around and I'm still be halfway competitive. Uh, I always run as a top 10. I think last year I had 12, uh, 12 top 10 finishes and five top five, finished sixth in the point standings. And the year before that, I finished third in the point standings. So I'm still running and, and being competitive and it, I still enjoy it very much. I mean, I've won so many races that I don't have to win anymore. I just go out and have a good time. If I go out and run seventh or eighth and battle somebody and make a little bump here and there and just just really have a good race then i've had a good time uh, and so that's all it means right now is to go out there it's just like yourself if you have a you're a professional golfer and you kind of retire you still want to go out on the weekend and play with your buddies and play a game just for the fun of it well that's basically what i do right now i don't have to win anymore i just have a good time out there racing Hey, Red, I wanted to follow up on that question. Uh, your, your stats are hard to find in the record books. Uh, you know, a lot of short track racing over the years. If you had to guess, how many NASCAR races would you say you have won in your career? Oh, I, I, that's hard to say because we ran, we ran Huntsville Thursday night, Birmingham Friday night, Montgomery Saturday night, and then we would try to find a place to race on Sunday. So we ran three or four nights a week NASCAR back through the 60s and 70s and 80s through there with me and Bobby and Donnie. We traveled all over the country. And I don't really know how many of the NASCAR races that, that I won. Um, you know, I went to a bunch of Greenville Pickens and just different racetracks all over the country that I ran in. Um, but I, I never really kept up with exactly the NASCAR races. My, in the Cup Series, uh, I finished fourth in the Talladega uh, 574. Um, and then I finished fourth in the Macon uh, 500 in Macon, Georgia. Uh, that was my two best finishes in the Cup Series. Um, back when I was running in that deal, if you didn't have a factory ride, you know, you was an also ran. And that wasn't my cup of tea. That's like kissing your sister. And it just, I was not going to be an also ran back then there because I didn't have the factory back and, and run 25th or 30th and just say I was a NASCAR cup driver. I'd rather go back and run short track races and win them and not be a cup driver, but still NASCAR driver, but run where I could win races because uh, I just couldn't, I wasn't going to be a back marker. So that's the main reason I didn't run like what Bobby and Donnie did. They left and went to the cup series and I didn't have the factory at the time. So I just stayed there. But you know, one thing I got to say too, 
I've, I've got the longest sponsorship in racing history for anybody that I know of. Long Lewis Ford has been on my car for 58 years. They'll be on it next Saturday, Friday and Saturday, Talladega Short Track. 1962, they came to me and wanted to know if I'd put a Ford motor in the car and they had sponsored me. And they got me a Ford motor and I put it in the car and they said, don't put my name on the car this week. And uh, that's okay. So I went out there and I won the feature the first night with that car. And they said, put the name on it next week. And we shook hands. And that was, that was 58 years ago. And they're still on my car today. And it was on a handshake. No lawyers, no contract, nothing. Just a gentleman's agreement. That's the way you ought to be able to do business. Uh, that's great. Thank you so much. We'll uh, go to Bob Pockers now with uh, Fox Sports. Yeah, Red, you're being inducted with Dale Earnhardt. What, what does Dale Earnhardt, what do you think of when you think of Dale Earnhardt Jr., what type of person he is and what type of he is? Oh, well, I'm glad to see it. Now, you're talking about something else. I'm going to tell you a little something. In 1956, when I won that NASCAR, my first national championship, Buck Baker was a cup champion. I was the modified champion. And Ralph Earnhardt was the sportsman champion that year. So that's how long I've been on the Earnhardt. You know, I've raced against all of them. So I raced against Ralph a lot and then the Dale Toos. And then, of course, Junior is great, too. So I'm just glad to see, see him in there. We have one more question, Red. This one comes from Jerry Jordan with Kicking the Tires. And he wants to know, he says, it's easy to say that this is the biggest moment of your career, but what, what does this moment out, outrank? What was the greatest accomplishment in your career before the Hall of Fame? That goes back to one of my, I'm going to tell you, uh, in the Permatex 300 when we, I ran it in Daytona. I'd been trying since I ran the first race there in 59, and I ran it every year and every year. And the cup drivers won them every year, every year, every year. And then finally in 1971, I won the Permatex 300 at Daytona. That was my big accomplishment. But what made that thing so great, my mom, which is my mother, never went to the races very seldom. I don't think she'd ever been to five races in my career. She's never been to Daytona or any kind of super speedway race. And she came up from Miami. And I won the, I won the Permatex 300, and she got to go to Victory Circle with me. But what made it special, it was on February the 13th, and it was her birthday. So my, I won the Permatex 300 on my mama's birthday. She was at Daytona in Victory Circle with me. And that was probably the biggest accomplishment, the thing that I, I always think about, being able to win that race with my mom there for the first time she'd ever been to a track. Wow, what a very special memory, and thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for joining us today. Congratulations again on making the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I appreciate it very much. Right, have a good evening. Okay, thank you. And there you go. That was Red Farmer. What an amazing man. Next up, we're going to hear from Dale Earnhardt Jr. Here's what Dale had to say. Hey, everybody. Dale, how you doing? I'm doing good. Good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, thank you all for your patience and for joining us this evening. Uh, first up, as you see, we are joined by Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, one of the newest inductees in the NASCAR Hall of Fame, representing the class of 2021. Uh, Dale has two Xfinity Series championships, 26 cup wins, including two Daytona 500s, 
and he was the 15-time most popular driver in the NASCAR Cup Series. And we'll just go ahead and throw it straight to you, Dale. If you could just uh, talk us through your emotions when you saw your name up on the screen. Yeah, I um, I was uh. <sighs> You know, when that, when the list of nominees came out um, a while back, I was uh, so honored to be on that sheet. I'll be honest with you. Looking at the names on there, Harry Gant and uh, Neil Bonnet and a bunch of other guys, Stefanik, Red Farmer, I couldn't believe my, my name was on, on that sheet, to be honest with you. Um, and I know those guys and their body of work and not just a couple – experience and the couple wins, for example, Harry Gant, uh, you know, I know what they did to get to the cup level, the wins uh, in the sportsman series at the short tracks, um, all under a NASCAR banner. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot more to a driver than just that, that body of work that they have in the, in the top level of the cup series. And that's obviously uh, true because of Mike Stefanik being inducted himself. And Red Farmer. So um, I was just really, uh, I was just, I was good. I was good with just being on the sheet, you know, and, and I was going to be happy with that. And I'm 45 and, and relatively young in the grand scheme of Hall of Fame inductions. And so I was going to be completely comfortable, patiently waiting on whatever opportunity, if my name should ever get called. So um, uh, but it was really emotional. I, I wasn't that nervous. I had a root canal earlier today, so I was more nervous about that than, <laughs> than this induction that was here tonight. Um, so maybe that was a good thing. Um, but, uh, as soon as the net, as soon as the show started, uh, on M we were watching the NBCSN, uh, coverage, on NASCAR America, uh, for the announcement is, and as soon as the show started at five o'clock, I, I, that's, I got nervous and I didn't expect that because I was wanting to prepare myself mentally, mentally and emotionally to not be selected, uh, because there was some really, um, amazing candidates. So, um, but yeah, I started getting nervous then. And then when my name was chosen. I was just, uh, it was a very emotional, even just sitting here right now talking about it. It's really emotional uh, because um, you just, you know, I feed off, I feed off of uh, affirmation. Uh, someone saying that was a great job, somebody patting you on the back and appreciating you. And I really, really feed off of that. And, and that affects me heavily in the workplace and in my home life and, and, and everything I do. And, um, I think that's why I had so much great success with Steve Latart because he was such a great cheerleader and uh, no matter what was happening or how frustrated he might be with me, he knew how I reacted to that affirmation and he knew if he wanted to get the best out of me, that that would uh, be the best route to take. And this, there's no greater, pat on the back or a tip of the cap than, than this, uh, from your, from the industry, from the people that, that vote who are all sort of sprinkled throughout the industry and in the sport, whether they're drivers or journalists, um, you know, NASCAR industry execs or whatever. So, um, I, I don't, um, I just, uh, it's such a great feeling that someone feels like that I made an impact on the sport. And I know my numbers, you know, I know the wins 
uh, the lack of a championship. I know what my numbers are. And um, I feel like that I was chosen based on that, but also on the impact off the racetrack and being an ambassador for the sport. And I really, you know, um, didn't take that seriously early in my career. When I was young, it was just about me and I want to have fun. I want to race and do all those things. But as I got older, I really started to think about the health of the sport and what I could do to make sure that the sport was better every day and um, appreciated uh, by everybody. So um, I started to take that more seriously. And I think that um, I still, you know, that's why I got into broadcasting and wanted to continue to be part of the sport is because I felt like even, even in that role, I could have a play in growing the sport and continuing pushing the sport in the direction it needs to go. So it's, um, such an honor and, and I'm now looking forward to uh, whatever that experience is. I have no idea what, what this experience like is like to leading up to the uh, ceremony and so forth. And even going through the ceremony is going to be so much fun. And um, here I've been in the ceremony before and, and it's such a great time because you get to hear these stories of these drivers and it sort of uh, encompasses their careers all in one evening. And Red Farmer is going to be amazing to listen to. Uh, the story of Mike Stefanik will be incredible to listen to. So I'm, I'm uh, much looking forward to those and um, celebrating Ralph Seagraves and his impact on the sport as well. So it's going to be a fun night. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, I can see that some of you have already raised your hands to ask questions. Uh, for those that are unaware, if you do have a question, uh, go to the participant list and you can raise your hand there. We'll get to as many as we can. Uh, Dale has a full slate of media ahead of him. So <laughs> uh, we only have about 20 more minutes, but, We'll do as best as we can. We'll start with Bob Pockris and then go to Jeff Gluck, please. Yeah, Dale, do you view, you talked about your impact off the track. Are you good with people voting for you based on your impact off the track? And is, do you feel this as maybe a validation of your work off the track? Well, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I feel, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard one to answer. I, um, you know, I just wanted I, – I, there was a point in my career, Bob, that I started to think, okay, I'm not going to win seven championships. I'm not maybe even going to win one championship. I'm not going to win 100 races. might not even win 40 races. Uh, so what can I do? What If I can't do that and, and I can't be what – I mean, there were a lot of people that wanted me to be Dale Earnhardt, wanted me to not, not just be the – intimidator and, and all that, but they wanted me to be as successful as he was and, and, and drive like him aggressively beat, you know, spinning people out and all those things, you know, whatever they thought dad was, that's what they wanted me to emulate. And when I realized that, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be able to win those races. I'm not going to be able to win a championship. I started to think of how, what I could do outside of that. What, I, what, what else could I control that would, that would help, the sport and, and, uh, and be a good ambassador, uh, for the sport. So, and, um, I wasn't always perfect, but, uh, I started focusing in those areas and, and doing, being accessible, uh, being available, being accountable. And, um, you know, I feel like 
I, uh, I did, I did a decent job at that. And that's not, you know, I don't want to sit here and, and, and measure it. I, it's up to someone else or anyone else to want to do that. But I'm pretty happy with that part of my career when it comes to, uh, the the impact I had on the sport, I'm very happy with it. Considering the fact that I didn't have that su- success that my father did, but yet I was able to move the needle a little bit in the mainstream media, um, doing um, doing particular um, stories with Rolling Stone early in my career and stuff like that, really introduced me to the opportunities outside of our NASCAR bubble, going on MTV Cribs or even introducing a band at the MTV Awards. Uh, those are terrifying things to do for a young kid, but I was really, you know, kind of introduced early in my career as to the possibilities of sort of jump getting out that when I would do those things, we would get sort of, uh, we would, we would get, um, affirmation from it or people would say, man, that's crazy or great that you've got to go into those places. NASCAR typically doesn't get to go. And so I tried to strive for more of that. Uh, because it was getting such a great reaction and we were creating a lot of new fans. Um, you know, we, I always thought it was, I always thought it was something important to me that I gained a ton of fans because of who I was right out of the gate. I, I had people wanting my autograph before I had ever done anything on the racetrack. Um, and that was very awkward and uncomfortable, but I knew when dad died, I was going to assume all of most of most of all, if not all of his fan base, and I was able to take that, and I, I feel like I took care of that. I didn't squander that. I didn't ruin that, and I grew that base and therefore also introduced the sport to a lot of people who had never heard of Dale Earnhardt in the first place. Um, I, I, I feel like I took that seriously, and I, I always um, – I always felt like that the sport needs to be healthy long after that my driving career is over. I would be very sad if we ever, you know, whether it's 50, 100, 150 years down the road, if, you know, if NASCAR is irrelevant and nobody even remembers what happened, you know, so it's important for me that our sport survives and is strong way, way beyond my life. Um, because then, you know, not only is it important that people will remember my, the mark I left, maybe even more so the mark that my father left and all the other, all the other greats, uh, in this sport and the, and the drivers that will, that, that are, that are in it today. We have so many hall of famers right in the field right now that we're watching and drivers that'll come after them. Um, all these wins and, and, and all the things that you did, um, won't matter if the sport's gone so uh you know i took that seriously to try to drive the health of the sport and feel like i feel like i had a a good role in that thank you thank you jeff this is so uncomfortable talking about yourself (laughs) so that that plays into my question dale because you know at at times uh you know you you uh had a lot of self-doubt during your career you know you you um had instances where you didn't have the self-confidence for a while, you know, came and went. And, and like you said, you, you know, you, you wanted that affirmation or that, that was helpful to you now, you know, for the rest of your life, everywhere you go, people are going to say, you know, Hey, here's NASCAR hall of famer, Dale Earnhardt Jr. For a guy that has such a deep sense of history, you know, do you think that that 
will change, this will change the way that you look at yourself and view yourself um, now that you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe so, Jeff. I, I, I don't know. You know, I just have to, I think every day you wake up and you, you, <laughs> you, you want to make somebody proud. I, uh, I talked about this just a bit earlier. Um, every day that I get up, I want to do something that makes my wife very proud of me. Um, I want to, I, I want, I seek that everywhere I go in the world where we're sitting, I'm sitting in my podcast. We're doing a podcast. Um, I want to make Mike Davis, you know, proud of me or go, man, that was a great job you did there. Um, and everyone else in the room, you know, I want them to be happy uh, with the work and the effort and the result. I feel that same way in the booth. Um, uh, I had this instant connection with Sam flood when he hired me that, man, I really want to make that guy proud that he did this. And I really want to make him feel like I made the right choice, you know, in getting me to me to do that job. And um, so I think I'll always kind of have that every day when I get up. I, I don't know why um, I'm that way. I think I always wanted to do that with dad when I was young, trying to make him proud and everything I did his, his trying to get him to give you affirmation was so hard. Um, and I, maybe a lot of dads are like that. They, they, they point out what you should have done differently and trying to give you constructive criticism for sure. And you don't realize that in a moment, but getting that, you know, getting that affirmation was always so challenging. And when he died, I went to other people to get that, you know, Dale Jarrett and, and Mike Helton and, and they were you know, Rick Hendrick, uh, Steve Letard, anyone, Anywhere I could go try to find affirmation and, and appreciation and uh, I sought it out and I still do that today. And I think that's just in my nature. Thank you. Next we'll go to Alex uh, Anderchev from the Charlotte Observer. Hey Dale. Uh, congratulations. I am, um, you know, you mentioned on the broadcast, just being pretty reflective these past couple of days, especially in the past couple of weeks. Um, I guess sort of what, what have you seen from the sport recently? And, you know, do you feel like this is kind of a big moment or, or time for the sport and where do you hope to see the sport in, you know, the next five to 10 years? Yeah, it's, it's, I've, I've loved everything that I've seen out of our sport. Um, drivers are speaking and our sport is speaking. Um, our leaders in our sport are stepping up and, and, uh, making some real decisions. And, um, so it's great to see, I've been in a sport a long time and um, I'm more confident, I think, in the leadership that we have today in Steve Phelps and uh, the people around him uh, than, I, than I believe I've ever, ever been. And, and, and we've had some really incredible individuals in our sport over the years, over the last several decades that have been incredible influencers in our sport and great leaders with great minds that have influenced me as a person. But when you're talking about the sport and the direction it's going, uh, I believe we're in great hands and um, you know, we have, we have a leader in Steve Phelps and, and O'Donnell who are open, accessible, um, whether it's even on social media, but I mean, obviously at the racetrack uh, Phelps is, his door is always open. Uh, O'Donnell's a guy that I can text any moment of the day and have a conversation with about what the sport's doing, what direction we're going, decisions we're making. And uh, it's, you know, you can't, that's something that I think um, is very valuable and very helpful. So I'm excited and 
you know, they just got, they, they just have to continue the conversation um, and continue to move forward, trying to push for change and, 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 and creating a great environment uh, for fans at our racetracks and uh, introducing the sport to new fans and creating new fans every day. Thank you, Dale. We'll go on to Marty Smith and then Jordan Bianchi. Me on mute there. Hey, man, congratulations. Hey, buddy. Can you hear me? Okay, very good. So yep. I was really moved watching what you said to Dale Jarrett on NBC earlier about carrying the sport in, uh, after your daddy and all that. And one thing that, that I've always wondered and never asked, uh, you know how I feel about the fact that I don't know if the sport would have continued the way it has if you didn't decide to race. Why did you decide to race? Um, well, we had a we had a lot of people, a lot of employees that needed to keep going. And, um, you know, I was just one little piece of a big old machine that was going to the racetrack. And, and uh, but I was, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like one of those, you buy a toy for your kid and it needs eight AA batteries. Well, if one of them's not in there, the rest of those batteries don't, don't, don't get the, don't get to work the toy. So I had to be in there. Uh, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a situation where we ever considered not racing. I didn't want to be there in Rockingham. I didn't, it wasn't in my, my stomach was, uh, in knots and, and I, and it, racing was the last thing I wanted to do. But I'll tell you this, I, I knew if I was at home, I would have been in worse shape emotionally. And um, uh, being alone and by myself is absolutely the last place I needed to be in that moment. So as bad as I didn't want to be at the racetrack and, and, and working and trying to compete or, or trying to get up on the wheel, as we say, uh, just being around the industry and around those people in that moment was uh, very helpful for me. Thanks, man. Congratulations. Real proud of you, bud. Thank you. All right. Uh, unfortunately, we probably can only have time for one more. Uh, Jordan Bianchi, if you'd like to uh, wrap up for us. Uh, Dale, in, in the last few days, how much thought have you given this day and that it was election day for the Hall of Fame? And when you went to bed last night, were you thinking, you know what, tomorrow's the day I'm going to find out? Can you take me through that? I'm sorry, but um, um, I hadn't put any thought into it. Uh, um you know, my mind's kind of been dominated by what's going on in our world and, and what's happening around us and, and, uh, um, you know, how to, uh, you know, keep this movement going and, and keep the conversation going. What can I do? Things like that. Uh, I've been putting a lot of thought into that, but, uh, and like I said, uh, oddly enough, you know, since we're coming out of this, uh, the pandemic and, and everything going on with that. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of news, uh, and, and that's, that's fluid every single day and trying to understand where we are with that and what I need to be understanding of in terms of, of where we are with the, uh, you know, with the pandemic, cause that keeps changing. Um, there's so much happening and, uh, haven't really been able to, uh, put a lot of thought into this hall of fame induction and, we're all, you know, everybody's coming um, as the world is sort of trying to get itself moving back in the right direction. Uh, businesses are opening, opening up and, and uh, people are able to go get uh, things that they need. And one of those things is, is getting 
you're uh, going to the dentist and getting, you know, getting your checkup and doing all these things. And I just recently did that. And I have an old root canal um, that uh, I had 15 years ago. It's the only one I've ever had, but um, uh, I didn't have any discomfort or any problems, but he, my dentist was like, man, you got a little infection underneath uh, at that root. And so we need to get that taken care of. So I had to go do that this morning and he had to basically take the root canal and redo the entire thing. And, uh, <laughs> so I've been more nervous about that. I think that the anxiety over that root canal today was kind of counter to what was going to happen with this hall of fame induction. And I didn't have any time whatsoever to even think about being nervous or, or worried about being picked or any of that. Um, until five o'clock when the show started, it really kind of started to hit me that, man, this is such a, a weird, important moment in my life. I didn't even know this was going to be this emotional. And so, yeah, I'm glad uh, it wasn't worrying on me over the last couple of days. I've had a lot of other things to think about, but, um, and my plate's pretty full with anxiety. So um, it's, uh, but it's a great feeling. And, and uh, you know, it was very emotional uh, to be, to be chosen. I was really taken aback or surprised by the feeling that came over me. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dale. Congratulations again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Now, for a full report of this, be sure and check out my website, Race Day San Antonio. That's racedaysa.com, where I have a story, actually two stories, on the website about the NASCAR Hall of Fame announcement. And that about wraps up today's SmackCast here on TrackSmackRadio.com. Be sure and check back later in the week where Don Hall and I will be back with another edition of TrackSmack where we are going to talk about this event today. And also we're going to feature the upcoming race at Talladega and talk about what happened down in Homestead, Miami Speedway this past weekend. We hope you all have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to TrackSmack SmackCast. Check out more at TrackSmackRadio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.